Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 105. I think it's episode 105 of the Midweek Metagame. I'm Patrick Robertson, joined today by one of our regular co-hosts, Gabrielle Nassif. Hey, what's up, everyone? And since Harry is busy with schoolwork today, we've gotten the second best option, uh, streamer extraordinaire, rivals member, or MPL relegate, Canister MTG. What's up, Canister? Hey, thanks for uh, having me. It's absolutely a pleasure. Um, well, well, well is usually what Harry would say, but I'm going to not do that. I'm going to just jump straight into the thing. We're going to talk a lot about modern this week. Obviously, Canister and Gab both streamed a lot of a lot of modern over the last little while. I've uh, been playing a lot of four color control. You know, two different builds of this sort of this deck. So we're going to get you know hopefully get into the weeds of those. Talk about challenge results over the weekend. But before we get into anything else, I have to tell you that this this podcast is brought to you by Magic Card Market. Magic Card Market is a online marketplace where you can buy and sell various trading card paraphernalia. Uh, you can buy, sell. That's basically it. I said that several times. Uh, it doesn't have to be Magic. It could be Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, whatever. Sealed product. Who cares? Uh, go to Card Market. They've been our sponsors for a while. They treat us well. Please uh, do business with them. Um, the podcast is also brought to, brought to you by yourselves, the Patreon. So if you want to get involved, get in the Discord, have a chat. Um, Patreon.com slash Midweek Metagame is the best place to do so. Obviously, no obligation. Content will always be free. Anyway, why don't we jump into things? Gab, Canister, both had solid weekends in the challenges. X2 were better for both both parties on the Saturday and the Sunday. Both playing four-color control. Various di- two different builds, though. Gab is kind of taking more of a kind of Planeswalker control r- route, and Canister moving more in the kind of ephemerate blink route. Since you're the guest, you can go first. Canister, how long have you been playing this deck? Where did it evolve from? And tell me why you like it and what's been going on with it in modern and why you think it's good. It's been <clears throat> a while now that I've been playing this deck. The four color, Yorion, Ephemerate, Blink, whatever. Like it's kind of lo- lacks a catchy name, I have to say. Yes, frequently like I don't have like a good like one word name to refer to it. But uh, I don't know, it's been a month too. Uh, since I've picked it up and started playing it and, well, taking it as my, let's say, main deck to play challenges with. Uh, and even before that, I was playing Elementals a lot and having decent results with it. Uh, this deck wasn't necessarily built by me, but uh, Martinez, DP on Magic Online, was uh, having a few top eights in Modern Challenges with the non-Elementals version of Blink and... Uh, when I changed, I kind of realized that it's probably kind of similar idea, but better executed. Instead of uh, trying to use Risen Reef uh, and, and Tribal Synergy, you just play more good cards and a little bit of uh, Synergy. And that's, uh, sorry, that just that, that's exactly where I, what, what I've seen in over the kind of six or so weeks that you've been playing this as well, is kind of evolution from that a shell, which is, you know, not gimmicky, so say, but like, you know, tri- tribal synergy heavy in the elementals deck, and yeah, you know, sh- shaping away the good cards really seems to be modern, the, the direction that modern's going right now. You know, just play your best cards in all on curve and this sort of stuff. So it's obviously been working out. What what is it specifically about kind of you know the elemental synergies that you needed to get away from? Well. Uh... I wouldn't say there was like much to get away from, but rather that uh, well, every format eventually condenses to like a point where playing good cards is better than than worse cards, probably right. 
So that's just kind of like natural evolution. And the like main upsides over the elemental stack for the four color link deck, I would say, is the fact that you get to play, uh, well, besides a slightly higher individual card quality, you get to play cards that are cheaper. Like elementals kind of struggled with the fact that it didn't have good cards that cost one or two mana. And so you kind of were banking on Utopia sprawling into a free drop, uh, like just very often. And uh, with the Blink deck, you get to play like Grand Six, it's like more cheaper removal and like iteration as a cheap uh, card advantage engine, etc. It's just, it's just that you get better cards and you get cheaper cards. So that makes the deck a little bit better. And so this weekend, obviously, uh two kind of pretty pretty two top 16 finishes you know going x2 both times uh what matchups in the format do you really like and what where, where do you think this deck struggles yeah the, the four color blink deck it's uh very pointed towards beating the parts of the uh, metagame that play to the board let's say so uh, blue red murk tides very like you know centered about resolving its threats and then protecting them with counter magic. And winning the game this way, so if you kill everything, then you're gonna win. Uh, Hammer time, virtually the same. Like virtually any Lotus stack is also kind of weak to removal, tribal, and card advantage. So this deck is pointed at being good uh, against those mm. with varying degrees of. Uh, of its, uh, it's like kind of, well, let's say that its control matchup uh, can depend heavily on how many cards that are good against control you're going to exactly include. And uh, <clears throat> at the same time, it's also a deck that is very weak to the, let's say, uh, more fringe decks, like the combo decks, uh, Tron, Belcher, even like decks like Lotus Field combo, those are pretty hellishly hard for the Orion Blink deck at times. Yeah. What about um, is it Merktide? Ever since they started playing two Blood Moons to Jace in the sideboard, has that made things like much tougher for you? Because I've been kind of doing okay in the matchup with the the kind of the control build uh, with counter spells and force of negation, but um, did that make a difference for you in the the past couple of weeks? Well, but for from what I know, Blood Moon is kind of played all the time, like in some capacity in Blue Red. But uh, I think one of the advantages of the Yorian Blink build is that it's not very weak to Blood Moon. It's actually shrugs of Blood Moon pretty well. Uh, abundant uh, growth does a lot here. Even with uh, how it's backed on Magical Line, where it doesn't work when it's enchanting a... Well, it works timestamp-wise when you enchant a non-basic. Uh, so if you enchant a Shockland, they play Blood Moon, you, you only get red mana from that. You should get any color of mana uh, per, per rules. You should do that in paper, but it's been backed on Magical Line for like years, yeah. uh, probably. 
even even this, even with that, you can just enchant the basics, and I have found that Blood Moon is uh, like very hit or, hit or miss. It just can can definitely lock you on turn three, but it's not a huge threat in the matchup. Although I do play scared of it all the time. Yeah, but like even with those like adaptations that multi those, I think the matchup is very good for your rumbling. Yeah, I mean, that that seems to be a product of the fact that there's twelve threats that are you know very easily answered by the selection of creatures and removal that you have in your deck. I also, I also wouldn't be too afraid of Jace from this, from this four color control side. It just feels like you're well equipped to at least pace match match pace in terms of card advantage with a with a card with a card like Jace. You know, between the Eternal Witnesses and Ephemerates and the you know your omnaths and uh, and various different planeswalkers. You, I can imagine keeping pace over over at least over a couple of turns to try and to answer answer the chase. Yeah, you can also use fury bolts. Like there are just ways we can counter the chase. There's plenty of like ways available. Although it's probably better for them to have the chase than it is than if they wouldn't have the chase. Yeah, almost certainly. I mean, I remember when I was playing Merktide against elementals, it was really just a matter of Hoping, hoping that, hoping that you could blood moon them, and that that would kind of let you let you resolve your threats, you know, and kill them, essentially. But they they would answer your twelve threats incredibly easily. I, I wanted to get around to talking a little bit about sideboard choices you made. Uh, you said that you know, you can, the blue eye control matchups about as good as you as how much energy you put into put into fighting it. So you've got one copy of Emrakul the Promised End in your sideboard. Has that been something that you've been trying a lot recently or had success with? This is a card I've been playing for the past few weeks, and uh, since I only play one in the native card deck, it's in the sideboard. It doesn't like come up that often. I think it's probably pretty good. I'm not sure if the best card for the job, but uh, might be that more veils, more mystical disputes, the cheap cards uh, are better as a combo of witness, etc. But I think there is also value in having one big cards to find in your deck when you are casting expressive iteration a lot. I can definitely understand that. Cancer and I actually played around one of the one of the challenges this weekend. Uh, did you bring that card against me? Did you bring a Miracle in against me or not? Or is that just really controlled? Assuredly, I mean, isn't your deck control? I did bring the Miracle, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I didn't bring in my endurance for game two, I think, and then you had endurance, so it was pretty good. And I was like, and we were low on time, so I actually brought in, I think, all my endurances for game three, which I guess would make the Emrakul a little worse. But yes, yeah, people were talking to me about Emrakul, saying maybe I should have one in my sideboard. And because uh, you, yeah, you've been playing that deck for what two months, and I feel like you top eight or you go X two or top eight almost every single challenge. It's been like kind of an unreal run, whether it was when you were still playing like the heavy elemental version and uh, the Yurion version. Um, yeah, I feel like you've played this. You haven't played anything else, right, in challenges in the past two months? Just been yeah, all, all I, I played a, I played a few challenges with different decks. Like I played one challenge with Blue-White and to play it with Blue-White too. Okay. But like for the most part, I... I was like, I think I'm getting a grasp on how to build this Yarian deck. It also gets better and I get more comfortable. And it just one of, one thing that we started doing in in my Discord too with Bamzing and uh, 
you know data collecting uh, guy yeah we uh, were staying in the challenges like me and like a few other discord members were staying in the challenges until mm -hmm. they finish so we can collect the metagame data see who exactly is playing in those challenges and what uh, is the metagame spread of people entering and uh, you know I've, i'm frequently like a player who kind of like you know adds the cards to my sideboard in a reactionary way you know i lose to burn just like plus two core firewalkers and then i lose to mill plus plus one big eldrazi yeah etc then i lose to belcher and i like go run and add for dogmis vitas into my deck and that obviously like then doesn't necessarily pan out because you're not gonna play against belcher in in your next 20 matches probably so when we started collecting the data We've been doing that for the past three or four challenges. We collect, we collected the the metagame data, and it turns out that it's actually there's actually so many like the metagame share of the best two decks, Hammer and Merktide, is pretty damn big. And I don't have it right now, but I could like look it up. But it like kind of also made me realize how big those two decks are and like how actually unlikely I am to face against the the, the bad matchups. Yeah, the, the bad matchups, the like random decks, strong decks, etc. That's it's really interesting. It's really interesting to me that you you gather this data and you're, you're seeing what essentially modern has a trend that modern hasn't hasn't really followed for a majority of its lifespan. As so often it was the narrative is like modern tournaments who knows what's going to turn up you're going to you know there'll be like two percent of every deck in the format in the room and you're on you're never likely to play the same matchup more than once and but but here you're seeing kind of a really significant portion like even ball, ballpark numbers kind of like at least even double figures would surprise me for a deck like for any one deck in a modern metagame but is that what you're, you're seeing in these results yeah like you we have like a challenge with 90 players and you see that there is uh, like 15 more type players in it something like that and this is a pretty pretty high amount and then you see that there is the large portion of the metagame is made up of those uh, matchups that you can target pretty easily and like make sure that your four color blink deck is uh, good and well sideboard that against and then i think that's a pretty decent recipe for having a good time in a modern challenge at least right now like it's possible that the metagame is going to change but I'm going to probably try to collect more data from the challenges because it really helped me. How do you go about collecting the data? Well, you just have to manually watch the replays from round one and just write it down in a spreadsheet. That's what we do. Oh, wow. uh, once the tournament ends, if you haven't uh, dropped out of the tournament or haven't closed the window, you can still do that. As soon as you close the window, there's no going back on Magic Online. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing that once you were still in the tournament, you could replay. So you have to keep the window open. The tournament has to be over and yes. then you can replay matches. Wow. Yes, you can you can view replays of every match. Every match of every round? Yes. Any given match you want, you can like uh, open it. That's incredible. I didn't know that was a thing. That's what so an weird. incredible motor clerk. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's not pretty. It's not apparent, I guess. It's not obvious that you can do that. 
Yeah, it doesn't even make a ton of sense. It used to be the case that you could have, uh, even if you were not in the event, you could have watched it, but it's been changed with, I think they're like, this most recent model version, which was like 10 years ago at this point, probably. Yeah. Yeah, and I do remember you could replay pretty much any anything anytime. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was... I remember that era, that era like MV3 or whatnot. Yeah, that's that, that's fantastic. So this is this is with like Bamzing on Twitter. Is that is that right? Bamzing is the name Canister said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. I, so you, you should if you if you're listening at home, you should probably go follow their Twitter account. They post results from the challenges, or at least the modern challenges, every every weekend, and they've got the fastest. You know output essentially of like who's who's won and who's top aided so probably probably worth a follow there that's that's awesome that's awesome detective work though so this is all going on in your discord though like your, your streams discord yeah yes yes well yes it does require manually collecting the data and like does take you know half an hour to an hour or something to look through all the matches and write it down etc so it's a little bit tiresome but uh so far, I'm doing that because uh, I find it fun and kind of interesting to look at. And I think it does help me plan for the next challenges to conquer them. Yeah. Well, you certainly, your run has uh, certainly been pretty, pretty, pretty reasonable over the last few months, at the very least. So it's, maybe it's maybe it's paying off. But what, why don't we move to your, your weekend, Gab? So you're playing this kind of like different version of this four-color mid-range control deck. Um, you're obviously more planeswalker focused, and uh, you play, play Mendo counter spells or whatnot. So, why don't you talk a little bit about that deck that you've been having a lot of success with in the last week or so? Yeah, I believe we we brought it up in last week's episode. It was a, a list that caught my eye in the prelims. It was Huffs of Mana, MTG Jack Potter, who was just fresh off uh, Mox participation, got a two four nos. Was a list that looked really cool. It was four color Omnath control, four counter spells, three force of negations, and then the rest of the deck is. Just tap out for the good planeswalkers, Omnath, and you back it up with Solitude, Iteration, Prismatic Ending, and Verdict. Um, so, you know, I said I was going to try it. I don't always follow through, but I did. I fired a league, went 5-0, second one, trophied again, third one, trophied again, three trophies in a row. Hadn't happened in, I don't know, probably last time was when I went on that run was a terrible white black sewer deck. But, yeah, so the deck was just playing out really nicely and the way it's built is that yeah you're you're basically trying to to tap out for all the good cards so force of negation makes sense because you get to you know tap out on your turn force something on their turn or solitude something on their turn you have counterspell which is kind of early interaction on turn two or later in the game kind of lock up the game good synergy with teferi here of dominaria You've got Red and Six to Fairy Time Reveler. You've got Sun Chase and Mind Sculpture. And um, yeah, just Dex, Dex just was kept winning, you know. Um, so I decided to to give it a go in the challenges, and that went pretty well as well. I went six and two on Saturday. I was actually six and zero, oh, but I got paired down at some points. Lost the last two. My breakers were not so good, so I came in tenth. And then on on Sunday, I decided to run in back. Um, went six and one in the Swiss top eight, and then I lost in the quarterfinals to the blue red Merc type deck. 
But yeah, it's just another, you know, we've seen so many uh, variations of these Omnav decks, whether it's Yurion, uh, more on the controller side was Archmage, Charmin, Cryptic Command, uh, full Elementals, full Tapout, and this is um, this is a, just an, a different take. It, it makes sense. It's, you know, just kind of a mid-range deck, and I've had success with it. <laughs> What about uh, good matchups, bad matchups? Do you feel that you're strong in the same places that Canister feels that his deck is strong, or do you do you pick up your percentage points elsewhere? It's tough. I've mostly been winning. I have like 30 wins and six losses overall between the, the leagues and the challenges. And um, I found Hammer Time to be pretty decent. You've got solid game plan, you've got the answers, and you also pack Force of Vigor in the sideboard. I found Murktide, I feel, is close. On the In the Saturday challenge, I went 4-0 in games against my two Murktide opponents, but then it was my one loss in, in the quarters, even though I didn't play very well. It's tough. It feels like you have a good game plan, you, you have the answers, but... They can out-tempo you, maybe whoever draws the most iteration. Um, I, I need a bigger sample size because there's a lot of variance to the matchup. Whether if they don't if they, if they're on the plan, they have a one drop. I feel like the games can get really tough. They've been playing spell pierce and force of negation too, which is pretty scary if they get to uh back up their ragavan with a, a spell pierce on your Renin Six. So it looks like it shouldn't be so great for the Omnef side, but I've been doing okay. I think the Blood Moons and the Jace out of the sideboard are really good because the, the deck's pretty weak to Blood Moon. Canister's version's not as weak. He's got Abundant Growth and, um, you know, m maybe more answers, more cards you can play, and maybe less less double casting, less cards like Jace or cards that, you know, are double-colored mana, potentially. Um, but this deck doesn't function very well under Blood Moon, and you're not as good as dealing with Jace because you don't play Lightning Bolt. You play just a copy of a Fury or two, but I'm not even sure you won them after sideboard. And for some negation after sideboard is kind of double-edged sword because they have all these spell pierce and maybe fluster storm and dispute. And the matchup, I think, is attrition based. So it might just you know, it comes down to, do they have a good start? Who draws more expressive iterations? Do they maybe cheese you as a Blood Moon or a Jace? Um, so I, I don't have a great answer there. And then I've done somehow okay against Blue-White Control. I actually paired, got paired against Wafo and Mr. Kefriad back-to-back rounds on uh, Saturday, and I didn't drop a game. I just basically jam, 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 and they have to deal with every card. I think one thing that it's good for the current version of the deck is that they don't play Force of Negation and they have Veto over Dispute for the most part after sideboard. I think they were he had a few disputes on Sunday, but not on Saturday. And that helps you because you know you know they can't really they can't really tap out easily for their own planeswalkers because you get to punish them, whereas you get to tap out and um, you know, if they stumble, they kind of lose. You also maybe get some free wins where you just go turn two Ren and Six on the play since they don't have Force of Negation. If they tap out for an ending, you can just follow it up with a free mana to Ferry. So that matchup has been good. I think Wafo lost to me. He also lost in the semifinals of the Sunday Challenge to that deck. 
Yeah, that's um, what it looks like from the result. I think it's just really interesting that you managed to get pet against Waffle Tapper twice, two rounds in a row. That's the most remarkable part of this. <laughs> yeah. One thing that's really important on Magic Online is the time, though. They, the, the game's gone forever. Oh, so, there were some very stressful matches to watch. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, my first two rounds of the, the tournament thing, I was under 30 seconds. So that matchup. Burn has been pretty close. I think the matchup is good. I think, in general, all these Teferi plus Solitude decks have good matchup against Burn now. Doesn't whether it's the blue white control decks. You know, I had the same feeling when I was playing blue white control. It felt like I, you didn't even really need to have these sunset traveler in your sideboard. You're not going to be a massive favorite, but I've been liking the the matchup. I think you're I feel like that's, a, that's all, all down to counter spell in the format. It's just it's just so good to have your reactors, your turn to reactor spell be relevant on turn five, turn six, as opposed to a card like mana leak or remand or whatnot that you might have played in the past. Just having access to that hard counter when you're stabilizing is just so so important. Yeah, so many games play that that way in old blue eyed control where you would just get burned out, you would kind of stabilize, but you'd get burned out, you would draw some dead cards. So Yeah, and like you this you have to like you're almost compelled to trade your mana leak for for anything you possibly could early in the game rather than holding it for an important time while developing your game. And with counter spell it just doesn't matter. It's just always live. Yeah. I've certainly felt that way about um, the burn matchup with any of these kind of blue decks. It just feels like you know, Murktide, like the fast threat plus counterspell backup with these Omnath and then counterspell plus Teferi Time Raveler, forcing them to play at sorcery speed makes stabilizing and closing the game relatively trivial. Counterspell, how's burn for your more kind of creature, creature focused version? It's pretty similar, I would say. It's you said you mentioned counterspell, counterspell for sure uh, relevant. Well, that's relevant for my deck that doesn't play too often, but uh, also largely it's Omnath. Uh, probably it's a bit worse when you play with Yorion because then you draw Omnath a bit less often than you draw in, in 60 if you're playing the same amount of Omnaths. But uh, uh, I've been happy with my burn matchup ever since I've also like moved to playing like spreading seas in the main deck of the deck I'm playing. Uh, which that's an underrated card against burn for sure. Yeah, it's like one of the probably like probably better than lightning helix TBH. Is I mean, it well it's very good though. Is it even good on the draw? I think it is. Yeah. I think just because, well, double spelling is really important. Well, just look at a burn deck list, right? And look at how many of the cards cost a red symbol. Like, what can they spend a blue mana on? And the answer is that they can spend it on grabbing a Blurus, cycling a Sunbeck Canyon, or paying the full cost of one of the three CMC spells, Skewer or Riftbot. And I guess they can also play Rolling Vortex. So there is, like, some stuff they can do with that land, but it's not that much. So yeah. it is fairly close to just killing a land. Killing a land, uh, and once they don't have lands, they like cast their spells more slowly, you've got time to, to do stuff. Sometimes they keep hands that are low light, and you just like, you know, they have two lands, and you seize one, and then it's checkmate. They can't cast their Boros Charm till forever. They can only cast one spell per, per turn, and just are not uh, quick enough. And also, the play draw, I think, kind of less relevant 
for cards like Seize ever since the removal costs zero mana. Because, well, it's going to spend the same amount of mana on Soul doing a Goblin Guide on the play or on the draw. Which... Uh, That's an underrated point. Yeah, like you're, you're, you're happier to do that on the draw because on the play, like you don't, you have less cards and you don't need to. So like that, that's okay too. But like, it's not, the cards are not that much worse in the draw, like Cs. The cards like Cs are not that much worse in the draw, I would say, because of the free removal. All right. Yeah. Um, so I think we're talking about matchups, other matchups. The matchup that I lost to, um, I mean, my sample is not as big as Cancer, so it's a lot of just, uh, you know, not an anecdotic, um, just small sample basically. So I lost to two two red black decks actually. Uh, a red black Spike, really close match, but that felt a little tough. The card uh, Torak was really rough. Protection from white is a big deal. The discard's annoying. Uh, the body is is yeah. There's just not that many cards that deal with the protection from white creature in the deck. And then I lost to the Grixis Shadow matchup. That felt, that was like one of my baddest losses, I guess, as in didn't feel too, too close. So I don't know if it was just my draws or if the, the matchup is is bad. But um, overall, I've, I've liked the deck. It feels like a lot of matchups are close, you know, kind of a, like a Jun deck, but maybe a good Jun deck. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, I can share can share my experience with like the elemental stack and etc. It was that the elemental stack was super great in the late game against uh, virtually any Lurus deck, uh, because you said you lost to those Lurus decks. But I was semi frequently still losing games to a one drop, especially on the draw. They played a one drop, and I was like, oh shucks. I have my removal because I only used to play uh, prismatic endings. Uh, if you just play more one mana removal, that is what really uh, gives you those Lurus matchups for those four color decks. Like that's, it's as simple as that. Like the most realistic way for them to lose is to stick a stick a Ragavan trigger up a few times, like get super ahead and do like stuff where you have to care about your life total, your card quantity, etc. And if you just have like a significant amount of one mana removal, then you're gonna be you're gonna be good, I think. Yeah, I was definitely a little stubborn since I was doing so well. I never tried lightning bolt in the deck. There was also the problem of the sideboard chalice. It was a lot of matchups where lightning bolt is good. Chalice is also going to be good after sideboard. And I was already having issues when I had Veil of Summer. I was bringing Veil and Chalice against Murktide, and it was all awkward. So I just heavily relied on Solitude, Prismatic Ending, maybe Instant Speed Prismatic Ending was Teferi. But it's true that... Rag events kind of a pain, and they know about it. And yeah, especially the dust one, right? Yeah, exactly. They 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 make a point of just dashing it a lot and not actually casting it, and that's that's usually enough. So, if if I was to play the deck some more and try different things, I would definitely try maybe a couple bolts in the main deck, maybe just a bolt or two in the main and more bolts in the sideboard and no chalice, but chalice also good against living in. That's 
one day that's still popular. I think that matchup is is good for the version I was playing because you got the counters, you got the fairy, and after sideboard you got chalice and endurance. Of course, living in you can't underestimate that deck. They can just beat your nudras with grief and subtlety and their own force and disputes. But overall, it it felt like it should should be favored. Well, there's one thing that you can do. You can just play chalice and you cannot board it for one drops. In fact, like Chalice for, for Wanderers versus the Luru stacks, I'm kind of not a big fan of that as I'm playing Modern lately, as uh, it kind of compounds on the problem you, you already have. Like, you are the weakest on the draw versus their like strong opening when you keep a clunky hand. And with Chalice, you're just going to kind of make it easier for yourself to have a cumbersome hand that's going to go, oh, nothing, okay, Ragavan hits you. Oh, play Chalice, oh, Ragavan hits you again. I don't know. Destroy Chalice and you absolutely screwed for that reason. Yeah, I'm usually not a fan of the car, the, the, the cheese plans that involve cards like Chalice, but I felt like it's been so strong and... A lot of the the games you you win easily are just turned to chalice. Maybe it's just trying to play the game in easy mode, and you're paying it, you're paying for it in different ways. Um, but I, I felt the same way in blue white control. I you know, my, to my core, I'm like I don't want to have to rely on cards like chalice to win the matchups. I just want the deck to be you know kind of inherently good and not rely on the cheese strategy. But I feel like chalice has been a big part as you know, as to why blue white is good, even though Waffle past weekend, he only had the chalices in his sideboard, no chalice in the main deck. I think he added uh, maybe a Do- Dobbins Veto and had the one cryptic command back in, something like that. So one one thing I think is really interesting about the chal- the, the chalice chalice plan versus you know specifically Merktide is what threats, what cards are you really particularly concerned about that cost one mana out of their deck that aren't answerable by a one mana interaction? Like they don't they don't really interact at one mana in a meaningful way with you. Like it's like heat and bolt, and you can have removal for um, you know, Ragavan and Dragon Race Channel it. But like they really interact at like two mana and three mana with two mana and three mana spells at the very least. So maybe 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 it's better off just having bolts in that matchup and foregoing the chalices, like Anna has suggested. Yeah, well, so like one way to think about it is like you know how much do you gain from the chalice? in games on the play versus like how much do you lose from sticking to chalice while being on the draw because i'm pretty sure that on the draw like a deck that's like making sacrifices like not playing a lightning bolt to not to be able to support chalice is worse off like i think the deck with bolt no chalice is going to be better off than the deck with no ball chalice when it is on the draw for the for the most part the, you think you just make the exchange for play draw if you have both cards in your sideboard then oh well you you could do that it's pretty hard to you know you only are allowed to have a limited amount of cards in your sideboard so it's it's pretty hard to have enough cards to have a cohesive plan both on the play and on the sideboard against like this matchup this matchup this matchup this matchup right but you just like i, I think on the draw, the chalice, like sticking too much to the chalice, feels like kind of a liability TBH. Yeah, that's fair. And if ever there was a time where you could actually have that luxury, is now just because your cards are so versatile, 
it's something I've talked a lot. Uh, you know how back, you know, a few years or before all the, the super powerful cards from Modern Horizon and Modern Horizon 2 got printed, you were always wishing for 25 or 30 card sideboard, but now you've got these cards like Prismatic Ending that are just so versatile. You get Counterspell. The, the elementals are very good at covering your bases. Endurance is a card that you can bring in, in almost every matchup. I was actually making a sideboard guide for the deck, and out of the seven decks I made a the guide for, I think I brought in at least one endurance in every matchup, except for maybe Black Green Yawgmoth. And even there, you could you could argue it's fine. So you've got these these great sideboard options, and you're not missing so you can you can i like the idea of just chalice having the chalice on the play and the bolts on the draw actually that sounds really good because you ask what card you're worried about you're not worried about any card specifically uh, maybe dash fragment it's just a value it gives you uh throughout the game you feel it feels like if you stick a chalice on one and you cannot fold behind you don't really have to do anything besides survive because eventually they're going to draw so many one minute cards that it's going to provide you that passive card advantage or whatever you want to call it. Kind of in the same way um, it might work into a deck like Mono Green Tron. I mean, you're not you're not scared of chromatics here, but if, if the, ga- the game goes 10 turns, they're going to keep drawing these one mana cards and they're going to draw way too many dead cards to, to be able to compete with you. Did we lose you, Pat? No, you didn't lose me. I was just thinking about your about your point. Yeah, I, I mean, that kind of you know, echoes my thoughts. Like, it's obviously better to have Chalice in play than it is to not have Chalice in play. But what Kansas is describing is more the you know the sacrifices that you make to maximize a Chalice on the draw are uh, not necessarily worth the gains you get. So yeah, and and in the Merktide matchup in particular, I think that their one mana spells aren't actually the cards that really do the most harm in that matchup outside of their creatures, obviously, which are arguable by the cards that you would have in instead of instead of Chalice. Why don't we talk a little bit more about this, like, Aspiring Spy kind of Rakdos Jundi deck? Because you both said this is, like, a reasonably, a reasonably close matchup. And just from kind of, like, my heuristic understanding of things, I never said that. <laughs> you never said that? And I said that... Uh... The Yorian version of the deck is excels at farming the Luru Spires. Right. Very good. Okay. Cool. Because my 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 instinct would, would be would be that that's 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 the outcome I would expect. I would expect that these kind of thoughtsies mid range decks to get absolutely steamrolled by decks where every single card can essentially be a two for one, and you can't they have no way of interacting with cards on the stack essentially, so they can't protect themselves against the top of your deck. So, Gab, you said you said you thought it was a, a difficult matchup, but. Do you think maybe this is just kind of your small sample problem? Yeah, maybe it's also the fact that I'm not as good against the cheap drops and struggle whether it's the cheap drops, Torak. Um... I definitely agree that Torak seems like a, a problematic card for you, especially since like you're all just kind of like three to four mana sorcery spells, and you know that it can it can really definitely it, it can definitely snag multiple important spells in the mid game off yeah. of you. Also, don't have as many spreading seas. Do you have? Four spreading seas in the main deck, Cancer? Yes. Yeah, I don't have them in the main, and these cards are really good like, because Den of the Bugbear can be a problem, and Croxa can be a problem, and was 
force spreading season makes their life kind of hell. Their mana is all tricky between Croxa, the double black, the double red, the the, the man lands, etc. So um, I think that it's possible there's just a, a decent difference here um, as far as the matchup goes. You just, you just need to like kind of match your hand early. Also, as time went on, I in game well maybe not in game once, but like game two, game three, like I see see my hands and you know it they they kind of look like fine three four lands plus spells and I'm like yeah maybe I sh- I could keep but then like I decide ah what if they go turn one Ragavan. No, I hated the. I had to keep then, and then I just just Mulgan, and then I succeed for my six card hand. You know, with with the Rendex, you can just Mulgan to five. If you stick it in, you kind of unmulligan immediately. Yeah, hundred really percent. Nice yeah. I, I would never like. But my, you know, the, the surface level assumption is that if you play a Thoughts Thoughtseize deck, that Mulliganing is you know largely dis- a, a larger disadvantage in those matchups that you get your hand picked apart. But when it's so important to just kind of blunt that early. That early Ragavan, and you have cards like Ren and Six that let you catch up. I can imagine that you know, that heuristic kind of fails in in in, the, in this instance. So yeah, it's, it's that's a really nice observation. Yeah, well, in a way, you could. I think you right now more so need to give yourself time to take draw steps other than against the Fossies, other than keep cards in hands against the Fossies. Because you know, frequently it's Ragavan and then Fossis later, um, and like that's the most scariest opening rather than the Fossis into Tarmogoyf of the past. Yeah, exactly. That's the yeah. Previously, it was the early the early turn plays were the were the discard spells, and they would kind of keep you off balance, and then they would cast their Lilianas and their Tarmogoyfs and their Blood Elves or whatnot. But here, they're really kind of putting you on the back foot, and then picking apart your responses later on. So yeah, it's just it's just it's just imperative to interact as early as humanly possible. Okay, that, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Do you think these these like rock decks are kind of do you think they have a, a, a an important place in the metagame or do you think that they kind of fighting uphill against all these blue white decks and four color four color mid-range decks in general? Cuz we haven't seen much from them recently, but then if I look at the challenge results there's kind of spike in fifth place, then there's Twinless Twin playing the kind of Grixis Death Shadow version, which I, I, I'm essentially lumping into the same same category. They're both kind of like Lurus discard decks. Do you think there's any reason why we're seeing a kind of resurgence of those over this weekend? Mm, I'm not super sure what is the appeal uh, of those decks, but they certainly are strong decks with like good cards that can uh, get you somewhere. Uh, arguments that I've heard is that uh, decks like the Grixis Shadow specifically uh, tends up too much uh, a bit better against Murktide and Hammer too, so it kind of does it's kind, kind of a similar thing against those two best decks uh, in the main game as Four Color Yorion is trying to, where it's like a bit uh, better suited and has a bit more color advantage in, in those two matchups. Specifically against Hammer, I think it's probably Grixis, Grixis Ragdos. I'm not sure about that exactly, and correct me if you think differently, but I think those are probably one of the better strategies against Hammer that you can 
choose Collagen commands, Collagen's commands uh, decks. I, I th again, again from from a kind of like first principles kind of approach. Yeah, I would normally assume that the deck full of removal spells and like cheap interaction will be good against a deck like Hammer. But I invariably find myself when I play matchup, when I play versus Hammer with any of these, you know, essentially red red interaction decks, I find myself almost in that kind of like splinter twin-esque dilemma where like interacting is kind of imperative, but at the same time tapping out is problematic. And then they just grind at you so well, like if you kind of like, okay, I'm gonna keep up mana. And then they just open on like Esper Sentinel and suddenly I'm kind of like two cards behind and I'm behind on board and they can kill me at any point in time. I really feel like the, the, the four color decks and stuff like that have a better matchup against Against Hammer, Hammer, just just because they, their interaction is free, and yeah, probably there's right. no free spells in these in these red black decks. Yeah, I only played that matchup once, the the red black against Hammer time, and despite drawing decently in the match, I I ended up losing. You know, I drew removal, I drew Kulligan's command, and it didn't feel super great. I do I do believe the matchup is is favored for red black, and it might just be a case of just Spike doing well because. He's a really good player too. I know he he likes to brew. He he'll play brew and occasionally, maybe when he doesn't really know what to play, or maybe when he thinks the meta is right, he'll go back to that Ragdos deck. That's kind of pet deck of you know has been one of his pet decks for the last you know months, six months or whatever. Ever since that deck became a thing, he was yeah. one of the first ones to to build it and play it and do all of it. It feels I'm not sure I would read too much into it. Yeah, it feels to me that Spike does kind of takes the opposite approach to what you've been taking over the last few months, Candice, kind of where Spike is playing different decks every day, tuning this, tuning that, switching around a lot, and you've just been holding steady. Like, is that just a, a decision you decided to make from, from for a streaming point of view, or is it? did you think this is just kind of, you know, strategically optimal and best chance of winning? I tried to... Well, I think it depends on the player, but I tried... The approach of switching a lot and like, you know, sometimes when I just don't have a deck I particularly like, I switch a lot, but I typically just don't win as much then and I really need to get comfortable with a deck, learn the deck, uh, play the matchups a dozen times to understand like which cards are really all that good in the matchup or not. Like for example, uh, like it took me ages to realize that I actually don't like Flusterstorm against Cascade decks out of out of uh, my deck too much because it goes dead against Rhinos and they can resolve Rhinos through your counter spells. So you know, I've been using the like conventional wisdom that Flusterstorm equals great versus Cascade for a month for like month and a half, but then like. Uh, after thinking about it more, writing my cyborg cyborg plans down. For a guide and then thinking about playing playing even more i just realized okay well that actually is not working as a strategy and like that's a flaw in my strategy when i don't play too much i i just play i i just don't win as much so yeah no modern format that rewards skill for sure just because there's so many decks so many matchups way more than in standard so it really rewards people who play the format a lot and I agree about Fluster Storm. I've never been a fan. I remember when the first first time I picked up Murktide, the list had like two or three Fluster Storm in the sideboard. And it was the first card I kind of trimmed or cut and added like 
maybe a dispute, a forced subnegation. I just wasn't a fan, not only the cascading, but in a format where Teferi Time Reveler is so pre prevalent. Mm. I just don't want my counter spells to not be able to counter a Teferi in, in general, you know? Yeah, I have zero pluses songs in my sideboard in my Motei deck at the moment. I'm just, I've got like, I have three spell pierces in the 75 now. I just yeah, think yeah, but... that turn two. Ren is great, answer the Teferi is good, it clean answers the Chalice, and it essentially does the same thing that you want pluses on to do against Rhinos, which is to prevent protect you against turn three Rhino. And yeah, it's well, like, like, can, like, we can make it good. Just don't get. Fluster goes dead, Spellpierce goes dead in the same way again in the mid to late game. Well, you can make a good argument for playing Cluster Storm alongside Dragavan because, you know, then you like finish games quickly. But when I'm playing a deck that invari invariably is going to go to turn 10, then not being able to counter a, counter a spell in the late game does come up more often than if you were to stick turn one Dragavan and, and uh, push it to victory, right? Oh yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm from the blue red side. I'm kind of talking more about. It. I just value the flexibility of Spellpierce and counter the threats that Gab alluded to and the other ones that I mentioned. But yeah, especially in your deck in particular, you know, trying to win on turn ten, you know, Flusterstorm doesn't seem like it does anywhere near as much as it does like Dobbin's Veto, for example. Yeah, because well, I think we can agree that when paired against Living End, you would rather have Flusterstorm than Spellpierce in your uh, blue red Morgtide deck. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you just have to do the straight head take comparison, of course. Yeah, yeah. But like, of course, it it might be that uh, overall in the meta game, you'd still prefer to play spell pierces because you know they're like better in more more spaces, but not that much worse. Yeah, so maybe not an, a, a, an apt comparison in response to what you were saying, you know, about cutting spell pierces from your sideboard plans for your your four color deck. But I just you know, maybe maybe something worth highlighting that I that I felt was highlighting as well. Yeah. So you, you've been collecting data, but that's just who plays what, right? Or the percentage percentages of decks played. You don't, you have no idea about win rate or anything, right? Yeah, I mean, I've we've been only doing that for like three, three or four past challenges. So like this weekend and like the past weekend. So it's not like a super long ongoing thing, but you know, yeah. even like looking before this weekend, looking at the past weekends, their game share and yeah. Seeing how many how many decks people actually bring to the tournaments like helped me inform my decisions. But we don't we didn't do like win rates, etc. That would require a lot more work, but you could do that like the entire yeah, matrix. You could, you could just go through every available. replay, like write down yeah. what everyone's playing and look at the results of every round while you're still in the, the tournament. Yeah, yeah. Have you have you played Blue Red Blue Red Merktide a lot at any point or even a, a bit or is it a deck you've kind of just ignored? Yeah, I played it a little bit, especially earlier uh, after MH dropped. Uh, yeah. I played a decent amount of it, I guess. I have I don't think I played it in many challenges, maybe in one. Because I was under a depression going into this week, anyways. For me, Blue Red Merktide was the best deck in the format. But I wanted to play that Omnav deck because I had done so well with it in the leagues and I wanted to put it to the test. And I felt like if I actually was trying to maybe win the tournament, I would just play Blue Red Merktide or maybe Living End just because I'm comfortable with the deck. Do you, what do you think about Blue Red Merktide? In the, or if you want to give us, in your opinion, the, the tier one decks, the absolute best decks in modern right now, um, do you think there's one deck that's much better than the others? Do you think you're 
Elementals decks just better than the rest, or you think there's that, future yeah, one decks? I definitely do not think it's better than the others. Uh, the Yorion deck is a metagame deck, certainly in that it tries to exploit the most popular decks. But it's like the degree to with which it is weak to the bad matchups is uh, it's like super weak. I don't know how many matches I would need to play against Belcher to to end up winning one, but it could be a lot. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think you could you, you could say that Blue Red Murktide is like the default best deck um, in the format or amongst uh, best decks. I think it is not clear like which decks are the are the most powerful, and there is like kind of kind of a few powerful cores of decks running around that. Are pretty clearly like amongst the best uh, things to do. Like you could say that Hammer is pretty clearly amongst those. You could say that the Ragavan decks and in some manner are around those. I think uh, uh, yeah. Blue Red is like probably the best of the Ragavan deck. If Blue Red got to play a companion, then I think it would be like not a question whatsoever. But not getting a Lurus is a little bit of a bummer for them, or maybe for the better. Yeah, and uh, then the like four color planeswalker, somnath, ritual mentors, like whatever good cards. That's also a core of yeah. a deck that this one probably has the most variability, but it's definitely like the same class of decks. And I think cascade decks are also up there. Yeah. What about blue-eyed control? Because you, you said you top it a challenge with blue-eyed control. Did you play much since? Or I feel like it's not the greatest right now, even though Wafo wins a lot with it. But that's because, you know, it's Guillaume. Uh, I've played a bit, and, you know, people have asked me a lot about blue-eyed control. And for me, it's it's a tier below all these decks. It's still a little too fair. And... The, the the version is good, but yeah, I've not been super impressed. In a, in a way, I think you could say that the folklore plane soccer uh, deck that you're playing mm-hmm. is like kind of either well a hybrid or like more similar to blue eye than it is to the folklore bias traditionally. Uh, to be frank, so it might be that the you know folklore blue eye is better than. Uh, Blue-white, blue-white. Yeah, yeah, this through that deck just looks like someone just smashed a, a blue-white control deck and a Nomnap deck together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I always thought the, the four-color Planeswalker deck is kind of like an, an evolutionary step of the blue-white control archetype. You know, a little bit less instant speed, but a little bit more tap-out and just you know, improving its card quality overall. I definitely agree with Canister that the best Ragaman deck would, would have to be blue-red. I just think that it... It also just establishes a lot of kind of the rules of the format, like the terms of engagement. Are you have to interact on turn one, and you have to have, you know, something that's something that's keeping pace with something that's doing something very powerful things mana efficiently. And blue red essentially like set, sets rules of engagement in a lot of respects. It might not be the best deck on any given weekend because, like you know, like say kind of saying is like really easily targeted. If you just have a lot of removal spells, or if you load up on chalices and removal or whatnot, then. You, know, you can you can basically make them do nothing essentially, but it's it's ready to win a challenge on any on any given weekend. 
I definitely agree that Hammer is also just absolutely nuts as well. Like, it's just so scary to play against. It didn't do well this weekend, but I, I don't think that means anything in particular. The, the funny thing about Hammer is that, you know, no matter who you ask, they're going to tell you that they have a at least a good Hammer matchup. Sometimes they will tell you that they have a great Hammer matchup. And, Not me. I'm, you know, I'm proud of my awful Hammer matchup at all points in time. Okay, so you're seemingly an exception, but, you know, whenever we, like, go through the eggs with like anyone or just just take a look okay so what what has a poor hammer matchup you know sometimes the the burn players sheepishly admit to having a poor one or like sometimes well you're going to say that but for the most part everybody seemingly claims that they beat hammer but somehow it's still like the top of the mtg goldfish page for the past how long was it i guess yeah. it's not at the top if you go if you look at it past seven days yeah I'm not a huge fan of the Hammer Time deck. I don't feel like it's super great, but I might be biased. I feel like when we were playing Blue Red Murktide, we even got it to a spot where I was decent in that matchup. Um, I think it's a great matchup for Living End. It felt pretty good for that four-color Omnap deck I've been playing. And um, even Blue White Control seems kind of okay against it. So I think that those last two decks really are... Get, gain a lot of percentage points with just kind of like solitudes and furies though the same yeah just, if you're if you're like if your manner is committed to being reactionary you can't really do anything against them because they do they put that splinter twin pressure on you where you just got to kind of accept your fate on turn three or whatnot and yeah yeah if you're just holding up ma- holding up manner to be reactive it just doesn't work I, I remember when i was playing a lot of merc tide i was just trying all sorts of different strategies against them to try and improve my matchup like cutting all eight one drops and having all the blood moons and all this sort of stuff. And it just never, I never felt like I could get into a place that I was particularly comfortable with. So I just wrote it off at some point in time. The tricky thing about the hammer deck is that it's also super complicated. Everything costs one mana and you can also like target your cards with different cards all the time. And you, there's so many options. Whenever I play this deck myself, I kind of do like medium to poorly often. And I think it's, Super hard. Also, I noticed that whenever I, you know, play against a hammer player uh, who's kind of a no name, I don't know who they are, then like it's easy. I kill all the creatures, uh, then they have nothing. I win. When I play against somebody who is, for example, like high up there on the trophy leaderboard, uh, then it suddenly like becomes hard, and they like take better advantage. They, they take advantage better uh, out of the spots where I'm slightly vulnerable for in a small window. And like I end up losing games that feel like I probably shouldn't lose or like feel weird to lose. Reminds me of Infect a lot in that manner. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty tricky, I think, like evaluating the the hammer's deck exact power level. Yeah. I kind of agree with that. We we came to the same conclusion, and maybe it was a false narrative, but you seem to go in that direction when Laplacian, I'm not sure how you say their name exactly. Laplacian. Laplacian. They, uh, they just top-aided multiple weekends in a row with Hammer Time, when, you know, Hammer Time was not maybe doing that great. And when you see just one player doing doing well over and over again, and Maybe the deck not doing that great in general. You 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 could you could just think that it's like really high skill deck. Um, and you talked about the fact that it's all one mana cards. That's something that's been relevant in all formats really in the past so many years now that people always say, oh, control stuff to play and aggro is easy, but 
I feel like a lot of time it's actually the other way around just because absolutely not <laughs> with the aggressive decks you have cheap cards so you actually have decisions early in the game uh whereas control deck you're like okay I, I have to play my two mana removal spell or counter spell on two I have to play my arc on three I have to play my thing on four and um yeah uh that that makes total sense as far as the the hammer time go the deck yeah, goes. yeah. and hammer you like you also get like so much more you have to commit pretty hard when you have to commit and you like got to choose the spots where you commit and you sometimes need to commit a turn or two or three turns before you know you're going to commit like you know deciding if you're going to hold a hammer for Sigurdas or play it so that you can equip it with pure steel two turns down the road it's it's all pretty rough and it always makes me makes my it makes me scratch my head when I try to play hammer myself yeah what about you, Get Smart? Have you got a chance to get a league of uh, blue, red, or two in? I haven't played any, but I've been building various different versions that look a little bit different to me on my Magic Online account. So I currently have a version that has only two Merktides and it has three Season Pyromancers in the 75. I'm trying to get away from being vulnerable to a card like Solitude and having outs to cards like Chalice of the Void by just having Season Pyromancer do the kind of heavy lifting. More or less, just cycling bad cards and making making elemental tokens. I haven't put it to its test yet, but it's uh, where my brain's going. Kind of less Archmage charms, uh, more Blood Moons, and Season Pyromancers. That's the best thing I, I've got at the moment. I just the kind of more stock list I've, I have built in my account is exactly the the sixty that this that the won the Sunday Challenge that beat you in the quarterfinals. And my sideboard is almost identical, with the exception of Dress Down, which is a card I can't really figure out very easily. Yeah. I like Dress Down a few times I played with it, but I felt like it was maybe not super essential. It is really nice in that uh, Lurus Death Shadow deck. Not only is it a card you, you get value out of with Lurus, but obviously there's a combo with Death Shadow, where your Death Shadow is just 13-13 when Dress Down is in play. Yeah, I thought Blue Red was going to have a great weekend. I was actually joking. I was, I think, on Saturday when I was tour free and I got paired against Merktide, and I was like, oh yeah, it's the X and O bracket. You know, obviously I'm going to get start getting paired against Merktide, and I beat it, and I got paired against it next round. Um, actually, against James from Carbo Live, he was up late playing a, a modern challenge, so that was cool. And uh. Turn out, if you look at the top eights anyways, the Merktide didn't have a great weekend. It won the, 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 the Sunday challenge, but I think that was the only player who managed to place in, in the top eight. Yeah. Um, if it's putting up, if it's arriving in numbers similar to what, to what Canis is estimating, then it's not performing very well overall. I mean, I know it's incredibly laborious to extract all that data manually, and I don't expect anyone to do it, but I'll be curious to see exactly what this win percentage is yeah. overall. I think I do, it was getting like pretty good at getting to top 32 but like i'm not sure i remember exactly but in the top eight there there's only eight people in the top eight right but yeah when you collect the data okay well i'll go when you collect the data like typically you go through like the first rounds and you see like those players you know from the bottom of the standings you like click on the decks and you don't see many marked tides here. You'd like click, you see like Enchantress, you see Tron, you see some decks you never imagined before. Uh, but then if as you go like higher, more Morktides, uh 
tend to be here. So, yeah, I I do like that main deck a lot. Uh, one spell pierce, one force of negation, one explosives, one brazen bar, only three lightning bolts, and uh, the two blood moon, the two Jace in the sideboard. Dress on. Yeah, I can't, uh, I can't get past the three lightning bolt, but I kind of understand it now. I'm just curmudgeonly old man thinks that three lightning bolt is terrible. I just don't know how many matches of blue red mocha I win because I'm like, I'm just going to draw a runner, run a bolt, and I have death right, um, you know, dragon rage channel in play, and it's going to happen. But, yeah. Uh, Lightning Bolt's just not very good against Ren and Six, I guess. Yeah, I, I, yeah, no, bad against Ren and Six, bad against Teferi Plus, bad against Teferi Hero Dominaria, bad against Omnath. I understand that it's not the right time to be playing it, but uh, it just kind of... My instinct would be that every time I would start a deck that wants Lightning Bolt, I would just start with four. But yeah, I think I'm starting to believe that, that I'm wrong and that the kind of multiple multiple challenge wins and top eight results uh, over the last couple of weeks is right and three Lightning Bolt's where to start. Yeah. I agree with you. I like the shell a lot, though. I, I think this is a, a nice, a nice conventional place. What do you think of this season, Pyromancer idea? Like both of you play Solitude and like Fury decks. Is that the sort of card you'd be afraid of in any in any capacity? I think it sounds potentially solid and worth uh, trying out. You got me intrigued. Yeah, I think season Pyromancer is card kind of card in the vein of Ren and Six. Card just so so busted. Yeah, it's it's one of my like my secret favorite cards from the first Modern Horizon set that I just never really play with. Yeah, have people been doing that in Murktide? No, they 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 haven't been doing it in Murktide. I saw one sideboard that had one copy of it a long time ago, like really early on, and I tried it myself, and I never drew it, and then I just moved off of it because you know whatever, like I'll just do whatever whatever's doing well for me, and now I'm thinking coming back around to it since like there's four solitudes and basically like half the top eight decks and you know i play against blue white all the time and i play against four color all the time in leagues so uh yeah the season season pyromite is like a pretty straightforward kind of uh bait and switch essentially for murktide like murktide's like actually a bit of a liability not really a liability but like you know a lot of a lot of setup for you know quite a lot of vulnerabilities and so season pyro is kind of where i my mind immediately turned to it also lets you get away with that from the awkwardness of wanting to play archmage's charm but also wanting to have blood moon in your deck in the same matchups whereas you basically get to have the card advantage engine that isn't that doesn't force you to like go out of your way to fetch weird mana to like play play your blood moon like you can just get double island and it's okay yeah that's my favorite thing about it honestly too that you it's a way to spend your red mana under moon like really good way to spend your red mana under moon yeah, I mean, I thought about cards like Chandra, Torture Defiance. I think that card's kind of bad now. I guess it's not good enough magic card anymore for modern modern power level play. So yeah, I, it, I was just trying to find ways to get off Archmage's Charm, basically, because obviously it's like a good card and you want that extra bit of card advantage in, in the right matchups, but, you know, Pyromancer just seemed like the natural fit that if I was trying to, like, be strong against Solitude too. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a card that basically sees no play right now, despite being one of the, the best cards in the format. So, yeah, I mean, you know what you got to do, Pat. All right, I'll fire it up. Don't worry. I'll be playing a lot of Storybook Brawl, but uh, I, will, uh, I, will, I will fire up Magic Online this week and we can report back. Nice. Is there anything else we want to talk about as far as modern goes? I did have one thing. I wanted to point out the mono red deck that came eighth place on the Sunday, which is just the weirdest mono red deck I've ever seen in my entire life. And you, they, they conceded to you essentially in the last round in playing for the win and in, and they made it in eighth place. Is that right, Gab? 
Yeah, it was weird. I actually wasn't sure. So I brought up the the, the ghost protection, the hand hider. When I have a doubt, you know, I'd rather peace of mind. I don't think they were ghosting at all, but I'd rather be saved than, than sorry. And we played a, a match that a super sick game free. And I was finally going to win, but I had very, like, I had like maybe 15 seconds left or 10 seconds left, and they had 20, and they just kind of timed out their last turn. So maybe they just kind of acknowledged the fact that I had the, the, the win on board and they were being quote-unquote honorable and giving me the win, and they had great breakers, so they made it anyways. But um, yeah, it was it was all weird at the end. I wasn't too sure what happened. But have you seen this list, though? It's absurd. I've never seen anything like it. I think I saw it just from the... Um, the, someone find it, found it for me mid-match on Goldfish. Uh, what, 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 what do you think is so absurd about it? Well, for, for people listening along at home who aren't, you know, scrolling through the yeah. results right now, it's it's mono red. It's mm-hmm. like twenty lands. It's four a four arid mesa, four den of the bugbear, twelve twelve mountains, and then it's its creatures are like four abbot of Carol Keep, four bone crusher giant, four dragon rage channeler, four monastery swift swift, four skull scar mage. For firebolts, for light up the stage, for lava dart, for lightning bolt, for relic of progenitors. I just there's a lot going on here, and I can't quite process it. My like my like tiny idiot brain is just like I there's something at play here that I'm just not privy to. Yeah, relic relic with firebolt and lava dart is really weird. Not playing season pyromancer. <laughs> it's a relic for Gantus for uh, for delirium for attack on this channel, but, but I'm not sure how well that works. Yeah, the relics are really, really weird. Almost makes you wonder if it's not a typo. But yeah, they do. I mean, you got to get Giganta, I guess. The the comrade Giganta, so no, no season Pyromancer. But yeah, I played that matchup. I actually played around Blood Moon in game one, and it might have cost me the game. They didn't have Blood Moon in their deck. I guess I won game one, but it always costs you a lot when you play around Blood Moon and they don't actually have Blood Moon in the main. Probably costs you a lot of time on clock. Yeah, just thinking about the... To like the lands to fetch and whatnot, it's a nightmare. But yeah, it is it is a weird list. So I mean it's really just a relic of Regenitus, right? That are a little uh yeah, little definitely that. and like the no ragavans and then like the soul scar mages and the abbot of carol capes and stuff like that. This is it's just it's just weird to me and good on them for doing so well. It's yeah. just I haven't seen anything quite like that before. I mean, I've seen these kind of like more big reddish decks with like Hammerfall well, Garden and stuff like that. But this is it's like a prowess deck from the past, right? It's not that weird, I would say. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's that weird not to play Ragavan as like prowess creatures t- tend to play well when there is many of there. But this can is super weird that the relic is there. It's like kind of weird that it's lacking Manamorphos with 12 prowess creatures in the DRC. And guess like there's maybe more questions that you could ask but yeah i feel like one of the reasons that they did so well i think it's den of the bugbear i've been really impressed by that card playing against it it's been really really tough you know i don't have too many spreading seeds in the deck the lightning bolt and uh it was really good out of the really scary out of spikes deck red leg deck against me and i was really scared of yeah the the, the den was just a massive threat that card, I think, is super good. Definitely good if you don't play instant speed removal in your deck. <laughs> All right. Did I the, the bugbear ask that oh. question? 
<laughs> those what? canisters, cats. Or was it Teddy? It was my cat. I think it, it was your cat. It was not. Oh, I think it was Teddy then. I wasn't sure. It sounded kind of like a meow, but that... nah, it was Teddy. That was Teddy waking up and having a bit of a whinge. Yeah. Sorry, for, for Candice playing along at home. I'm, <laughs> I'm recording this from the room where my son is also sleeping. Yeah. It's the only place you can get space in the house at the moment. Yeah. So since we have you on the podcast for the first time, we've had Mangucci before and Reed and Spike, but never you. What are your what, what's what are your plans now that you know Pro Magic Play is gone? You're you know you're still rivals for, for next year, so you get paycheck and invites to the arena championship there's a first championship coming up in december which is standard and historic are you do you plan on trying it all or just very little do you have any thoughts about the future of magic in general or i don't know anything realistically my focus from like the past year or maybe like a bit longer uh, was uh, streaming and right now I'm also trying to like put more energy into streaming and more thought into into improving that etc working more of that maybe uh, you know expanding some like content wise uh, magic the gathering uh, pro league I don't know about that, I will be competing in those tournaments. I, I'm, don't enjoy playing standard nor arena nearly as much, like hobby, hobby, hobbystically wise compared to playing model and modern. Yeah. So it definitely feels a bit more like a chore. I will be participating in the in the tournaments that uh, my contract, uh, I was contract. Uh, makes yeah. me participate in and I will be preparing for those tournaments. You know, I will not be ignoring them. Uh, but, you know, like certainly like the first focus is, is streaming and etc. You know, you, probably you, not going to be taking uh, days yeah. or weeks of streaming to prepare for tournaments. Do you think it's just because of the way standard is right now? Or is it because you just had to play so much standard for the first you know, two, three years of MPL that you kind of standard out, you know, you just can't take it anymore. No, it's not that. I started by playing modern when I started playing Magic. So that was like go-to format I enjoyed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then like from that, like transitioning to playing with standard kind of feels like if somebody was taking toys away from you because yeah. you need to play with like Lamer cards, and you you know you put combat tricks in a cyber of your aggro decks because that's like the best option you've got, and like that's really a head scratcher when you are transitioning from like first playing modern and, and powerful cards, and then you you got like tandem tactics in in the cyber of your mono white deck in standard, and like in general, I do like the gameplay of of modern and older formats that much more than than standard. Like I enjoy standard, but in very small doses and yeah. I would not be playing magic for eight hours a day if I were to to play standard. I 
not that enjoyable to me. Yeah. Um, the fact that the first year of the MPL was like intense standard-wise was not that. Like it, it was not really playing much of it all. Yeah. But you know, I'm also I'm also I think I'm way worse at playing standard than I am at playing modern. So when I put my heart into it on on modern and the challenges, I can keep up good results all the time. And uh, you know, like X two. Most of the challenges I play in top eight, uh, pretty decent amount of them, etc. And yeah. I'm not sure if it is entirely within my capability to perform consistently super well in standard against like other players who do excel at standard. Yeah, but that's probably just because you you play way more modern. If thinking put in as much time and thoughts as you do in modern for standard, surely you. Yeah, well, that's that's a feedback loop, right? Because, yeah. you know, I, I feel good when I win, so I play more and I play better, etc. Yes, I never, like, hardly ever got to, like, activate that feedback loop when playing uh, yeah. standard. I also have some gripes with uh, Arena. Mainly the ladder system is about as unattractive of a system for me to participate in for for longer amounts of time. Um, on, on, in Modo, you join a league, you know, you have to to pay tickets or play points to get there. So yeah. you get some amount of investments from every player who, who wants to play needs to, you know, pay those like 10 tickets to get there. So at least some investment is being done and people will get well, emo- emotionally invested into that too. So yeah. you play against people who care the slightly bit more than you do when you play on ladder. When you play against people who, like, there's no filtration like that. So you can play against anyone. And yeah. uh, when you play yeah. a league on model, you like you you have the sense of purpose. You know it's gonna end in like a set amount of matches. Like if you if you go five zero, you get like a reward that's actually tangible. Etc. When you play on ladder, it goes as long as you would like it to go, and it never ends, and there is no tangible reward. So, for me, it just doesn't work as a motivator. So, those like factors combined make me like not uh, want, and probably I will never uh, commit myself as much to playing standard slash arena as much as I am committing myself to playing modern or Magic Online. Yeah. That's fair. The ladder system is not super appealing, and if there wasn't tournaments to prepare for, the ladder system alone is not enough to like. Yeah, it's not like the most fun or super. The motivation is like getting number one. Just such a grind, for instance. And I mean, it's a testament to commitment, but just you know why it's not. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah. the big problem let me also like add that when playing on arena also that I found it too much harder to uh, not tilt when I when I play against people it and you know sometimes you just want to build a deck and like tie it out ladder and see if it like for example holds up against uh, uh, like let's say most most popular decks on arena on this standard that you could 
play against in tournaments, but then yeah. we'll play against some weird decks and you have no way of knowing if it's just, you know, some meme deck that somebody put because it thought, they thought it's funny or if it's some, you know, actually quite competitive deck that they want to play, you know, that's lack of filtration makes it hard to hard to know. It it just makes me feel like I'm wasting my time doing that. I feel to me always felt to me like the latter is essentially like playing in the tournament practice room on Magic Online. Sometimes someone turns up there and they're you know they they committed to doing this properly, but a lot of the time it's just kind of like no counters, no LD, no discard, please. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but it's true. You don't feel like modern leagues are somewhat similar because I feel like it used to be the case. Maybe it's not as much the case anymore. I never play against non non tier decks on on in modern leagues. I just like fire up and every time my opponent plays one line i'm like yeah i know exactly what you're doing yeah you're playing a deck that i know and have looked at card lists for and you know i know basically you know it's the 75 cards you're playing more or less yeah it might be the modern horizon effect right there's just so little room now for for brews and to do well was kind of mediocre decks i guess this is definitely the most condensed i think that modern's ever like felt like to me outside of kind of like those weird like Hogak, Eldrazi Winter style metagames. Well, I definitely like, I do play against weird decks and leagues when I play leagues on Modo, but like, again, everybody who's playing the weird deck in a league at least committed some thoughts to, and like they had at least maybe some belief in their deck willing to, you know, spend 10 tickets on that. So that makes it that much better. I feel like if you do get to to mythic, you know, high mythic on the ladder, you probably start playing against mostly good decks. Though, do you, do you not think that's the case? Are you talking about in general, like grinding the ladder up to mythic, or even at mythic, you feel like it's still not that great? Um, I don't remember how I find playing so long. Yeah, <laughs> but okay, uh, probably definitely probably it's less of an issue in mythic, but then I thing i still couldn't like consistently pair up against you know a a tier deck yeah what i would consider a tier deck on, on in mythic right yeah no no for sure i mean games on the ladder are not super valuable i feel like maybe 10 10 matches on the ladder even when you're at mythic might be worth one good match played against a teammate when you're testing in, in for a tournament for instance i'm not sure that's a super far-fetched ratio um, what, sounds, what, sounds fair. Well, on a scale to one to ten, what's your excitement when you play modern these days, and what's your excitement playing some standard? Was the new uh, Crimson Vow set that comes out in a few days? Uh, Putting you on the spot. Because there is some cool. There's like a Red Bull tournament this weekend. There's a Crokies tournament. I'm not sure if they're on the same day or not, but I, I know I'm looking forward to. To the new set, the the cards are not super good. We actually did a, a set review with with Scanister yesterday. That was fun, but conclusion oh, conclusion was that all cards are bad. Yeah, more or less, except for more like the the two two ones, the the Thalia and the green two one. Um, but I feel like it's the the sets. It's easy to underestimate sets because you you're used to seeing the powerful decks and you're like, no, there's no way these new cards can compete. And then turns out you know you miss a card or two and the, the the new cards are better than you think, but uh, you don't have to answer my scale question if you don't want to. But I thought it was kind of a, I was curious. Well, I'm not 
actively well okay so let's say when midnight hand dropped mm-hmm. i was actually uh, excited about standard briefly enough to to go to arena uh, swipe for 100 uh, packs open them build a werewolf deck uh, play with it a little bit from bronze to to silver and then it kind of kind of wore off and then i didn't play arena till the arena open where i got to go to day two actually like lost too much in a row for the 1k okay yeah so that's like, probably my experience with the last the last set that came out on arena as well i i bought some packs i made some i made a deck i played it a bit and then i was like uh, and now what do i do yeah i mean so like i'm not drastically opposed to playing standard ever like and i will be playing more standard than this because there is a in mm, championship coming uh, in a month so i'll, I'll be doing that but uh, yeah I'm more excited to continue playing modern. You know, for example, for example, like you know, sometimes I wake up and I just I start my stream and you know I think about whether to you know continue tuning the same deck I've been tuning for for the past two months and that's an attractive proposition. But sometimes I just find some super stupid list that you know five odd. And for example, today I spent the entire day playing first uh, like Magda Changelings and then Black Green Jairuda. Uh, Urborg, Cabal Coffers combo. Is that the six yeah. mana companion? Yes, yes. The okay. even only companion. So, you know, just... Yeah. Feels like the funny stuff that you can do is funnier in, in modern than yeah. this in standard. I think you should maybe give Historic a little try. It's, it's, it's been fun. I've been enjoying it. And there's a bunch of different powerful strategies. The, the decks are actually, you know... Good Phoenix is good. Or stack, uh, you know your old uh, junt junt sacrifices, multiple forms, and there's a lot of tuning and tweaking to do, and probably lots of things that are still unexplored. I, I very well could see myself playing, you know, historic challenges on Magic Online if such a thing existed. But yeah, uh, again, like not opposed to playing historic. That's the structure of the just like arena, yeah. Not enticed enough by the format to to play it on ladder on arena right now. I wanted to um to just put my my hat in the ring about what you're saying. Like you don't enjoy playing standard on volume as much as you enjoy playing playing modern. I've always felt the same way, and but I. I have enjoyed standard in these doses where like if you have something specific that you're preparing for, be it like, you know, pro tour or the local Grand Prix or something or Grand Prix that you're going to, or, you know, PDQ season or whatnot, it really felt like nice to kind of like dive into a standard format with purpose, but this is a kind of day to day, like this is something that I'm going to do like day in, day out or every, you know, a couple of times a week. It never really held that appeal for me either, but I, I feel that's, that's never been the, the case with modern. It's always been kind of like, cool, I'll just, I'll jump back in and whenever I feel like playing magic, like modern's always there and it always feels this I, I get the I get the the enjoyment of playing magic out of it without necessarily having to play for the significant stakes. Like it just has to be the league buy-in that I'm playing for and I feel pretty good about it. But I wouldn't do that on a kind of like day-to-day basis for standard. Yeah, I guess that's how I feel too. Like I also like I even 
play weekly FNMs, right? That's which are which are modern, and also I don't know if that's uh, another feedback loop. If I enjoy it more because you know it's like a something I, I play weekly with my friends, uh, or if like we play it because I enjoy it more. That's yeah, oh. probably the other way around. Cool. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I only play. I feel like uh, I need something to look forward to in a tournament. Maybe it's because I don't love the game as much as I used to, or maybe I've always. You know, I've been playing only competitively for so long and not really casually that it's kind of all I know right now. But um, yeah, I hear you just kind of aimlessly playing standard is probably not uh, most fun. Um, Any, all right. Anything more we want to do? You, did, you said you wanted to talk about Historic a little bit. but Just touch a tiny bit because I've been playing that cool deck. It's a blue eyed affinity deck. Uh, built by Aaron Gertler, and it's been really strong for me so far. It, it looks a little weird at first, but well, actually, no, it makes sense. But you're not playing Zai, you're not playing Emery. It's basically Affinity. Uh, Nettle Cyst is a big part of the deck. You also get a Thought Monitor. No, not Thought Monitor. The 2-2 Flying was Affinity that draws you two cards. That's Thought Monitor. It is. For some reason, I thought Thought Monitor was like some old artifacts, like 4-6. There was something Monitor. Anyways, and and that deck's been been really good for me. If anyone's looking for a fun historic deck, you play Esper Sentinel. You play the, a lot of the, the modern cards. You get the, the Smiths, that decks for artifacts. And uh, yeah, pretty lean. Relies on analysis. Shadow Sphere has been MVP. You don't have really a way to tutor for it. You just draw into it and... The trample lifelink is huge. You get to play portable hole. You have glass cascading your sideboard. You have a lot of good cards. You get to play the, the artifact land treasure vault to power up uh, your deck. And um, yeah, it, it's been good for me so far. We, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, we're getting we're not that far away. We're at three weeks away from decklist being due, and one format is standard, one format is historic. But uh, yeah, that's split format is it? That's great. Yeah, it's split format. For some reason, I thought it was going to be uh, standard only or his. No, I thought it was going to be historic only, but it, it's going to have standard, which is cool because Crimson Vow comes out in a few days. So should should be a, should be a, a fun tournament to watch. Should uh, we put our life on the line? Yeah, let's put our life on the line. Right. So for those of you. Who are new to the podcast? This can include Counter Threat. I don't know if he's ever listened. I'm going to bet on the side that he's never listened. But Life on the Line is a theoretical tournament that you're playing tomorrow. Um, yeah, if the the stakes are that if you win, you get to continue living your life, and if you lose, you die. Um, do you have to take a? If we have to pick a deck from formats we talked about this week. So we'll just do that. We'll just do modern today. Um, so what are you going to play in this tournament, uh, Gab? I will play. Wow, that's a really tough one. I think I'm gonna go with the deck I've been playing, and you know, maybe make some few tweaks based on uh, our discussion tonight. The, the maybe lightning bolts, the the way to sideboard was chalice, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that deck. It's been it's been powerful. It's been impressive, and other people have done well with it. Not not just me. So. Seems like it's 
not just me running hard and me playing well, etc. What about you, Canister? Well, I would go with the decklist that I've been playing lately because, as I said, I do feel like I need a fair amount of practice to perform well with a deck, and I do have a fair amount of practice with with that deck. And I also think it's a, a really strong deck that's well positioned. So. I would like to remind you that an X2 finish will not cut it in this tournament. Well, neither would like an X3 or X4. So. That's fine. Um, I'm going to play Blue Red Murktide. I'm going to make the changes that uh, we discussed here. I'm going to try this Pyromancer thing out because if I don't, if I don't win, I don't want to live in this world anyway. Cool, cool, cool. Should we do the the prices right as well? Do we have a? I'm I'm not compelled to do the prices right today. All right, let's skip the prices right. We'll wait we'll wait for Harry uh, for that one. I'm not even sure I would know where to look up the the one week or what do we do usually the one week trend or. There's honestly no way of knowing. Harry, someone just tells me a card and I just shout out a number. What was that segment? We do the prices right. Placement. We yeah we pick a card and then we guess the price of the card on card market. And we look it up, and whoever's closest wins. Which is not exactly the price is right, because price is right, you have to underbid. If you go over, you automatically lose, but that's kind of lame. So we've, it's, we've it's also not really that. a game. Yeah. Anyway, enough yeah. criticism of the price is right segment of the show. <laughs> um, that, that, that will bring us to the end of the episode for this week. Um, if you've made it this far, we love you. Uh, Gab, where can we find you on social media? Yeah, um, Twitter at Gab Nassif, Twitch streaming most days, pretty much every day, twitch.tv slash yellowhat. And I also started putting in more work for my YouTube channel. I think it's yellowhat MTG, but if you, or maybe just yellowhat. Um, uh, I've started doing more than just uploading my stream VODs. So you can, you can follow me there and Go go like my videos and like and subscribe, as they say. I thought Harry was busy this week. <laughs> Canister, thank you so much for joining us, especially at short notice. And it's been, I, I want to say that, that was a really, really enjoyable episode to do. And I, I feel like I learned a lot. Um, where where can we, you want to plug, plug your social media or your, your stream, etc.? Uh, Twitter.com slash Canister underscore MTG twitch.tv slash canister underscore mtg uh, youtube.com slash canister <laughs> not mtg i mean I'm, I, I, it's pretty bad it's inconsistent but yeah and also Harry, Harry would tell you off uh, the lack of brand unity i don't, yeah, I don't yeah, give yeah. a flying fuck though it's it's bad but i was also a second one youtube.com slash canister vods VODs, which is nice. a archive of my VODs. Uh, I'm going to have to follow that one. Without music. Nice. Even better. The strict upgrade to the canister live stream. <laughs> in many people's views. But... That's all right. I like song requesting in, 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 on your stream every now and then. Uh, okay, you can find me subscribed to canister VODs on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, the subscription will be under the name of Get Smart. You can also find me on Twitter under that name. Anyway, like I said, if you've made it this far in the episode, thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week. Goodbye, everyone.
Yeah, thanks for listening. Take care, everyone. Thank you for uh, the talk.